Watch out, this is Illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read a book this week. I watched a movie this week, part one of Shrek. Did you know, 20 years, the 20th anniversary was this year for Shrek. I know, I feel old. I (laughs) I shivered as we came together to talk about this, and that was the first thing Taylor said. (laughs) Yeah, we're just doing Shrek because we want to. There's nothing (laughs) going on. Yeah, we got a small note that we hadn't done a parter in a while, a two-parter, so look out for that on the other end at some place down the line. But we thought, well, why not look into one of the most ubiquitous franchise of the 2010s? Uh, It is huge in its impact. My knowledge of Shrek starts 2001 with the film. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I I think that's probably most people. So this is going to be awesome to kind of peel back this onion, the layered onion. Here we go. Um, (laughs) Peel back this onion and see what the genesis of all of this was. Uh, We're going to focus primarily on the first film and the source for this episode. Uh, So I... I'm, Who knew? I'm excited. Yeah, here we go. Look, a book. Again, <laughs> so much stuff you never know based on something. This one directly based yeah. on a book. Just a couple stats to explain the epicness because it was so long ago. Right. One, the first animated Oscar ever given Whoa. in the history of the Oscars, which you'd think it would have gone to a Pixar one. Like, so yeah, I'm like Toy Story or something. Monsters, <laughs> Inc. came out that year and Shrek <laughs> yeah. beat it out. So Wow. And also- First animated film nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. Did not win, but it was nominated. That's that's awesome. And really only the eighth computer-generated full-feature film ever in the history of Disney. Did a few, and then there were two in foreign markets in Japan and Brazil. But the big thing is the vibe, which we'll surely get into, because I saw this quote from an article, which I thought was great, which said, if you were the kind of kid who owned Disney coloring books, but also drew fart plumes behind the princesses, Shrek was the movie you didn't know that you needed. Right, right, right. But like you said, the book, we'll start there. Shrek by William Stieg. The title is Shrek with an exclamation point, which I love. (laughs) Yeah. Why? No one knows. (laughs) You'll be surprised to know, published in 1990. 1990. Yeah, 11 years before the film came out. How fast? How fast was some, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I want to know, because when did this begin some interest in Hollywood? Mm-hmm. Spielberg bought the rights in 91. Boom. Out of the gate. So, <laughs> how do you yeah, know? How, do he, yeah. how in the world did he, how does he he's, come across he it? He is swooping in. I get like, it, you does. know, at a similar time, he's like, oh yeah, my friend Michael Crichton is writing this dinosaur <laughs> yeah. thing. Like, I understand that. Like, where does he find this book? I, I couldn't see specifically where he got it from, but yeah, he's just the, we also, Hot we did a, a multi-part series on him. He is the master adapter. Oh my God. So I think people forget about his influence when it comes to this property, but this, he is the man. This is a Spielberg, <laughs> this is a Spielberg thing. We wouldn't have it on the screen and wouldn't have everything that this character has produced over the last 20 years, mm-hmm. if not for Steven Spielberg flat out. Um, yeah. So let's hop back to the book that he likes and- then we'll jump ahead to DreamWorks once we know what he, what old Spielberg is seeing in all of this. It rhymes sometimes, kind of like Dr. Seuss, similar page count. It is a children's book. I was fascinated to see, as I always am, with the authors, who William Stieg is. Yeah. It just shocked me to see he was born in 1907. He was 83 years old when he wrote this. Wow which is crazy yeah. that you, you hardly ever see something. Like, and also such a grotesque thing 
as Shrek right. with an exclamation point. Where he comes from, he was known for his New Yorker art, the magazine, oh, okay. The New Yorker, starting way back in the 1930s. The New Yorker started in 1925, so he's like one of the oh my gosh, primary yeah. artist guys. And he's an artist, so he did 117 covers, over 2,600 drawings. Oh my God. He's also the first cartoonist that they had to do the captions with it. So he's got a writer's yeah. bent to it. And the New Yorker, if you're not from the U.S. Look how literate is... Shrek is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The yeah. New Yorker, baby. Also has a has a wry kind of droll, satirical, comedic sense to it. Mm-hmm. That was the onus for the New Yorker being made in the first place. <laughs> was a counter to the hoity-toity New York magazine. This is interesting. This is very, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm liking what this is cooking up already. Yeah. <laughs> also, just a quirk, uh, a quirky guy. He lived at 75 and a half Bedford, which is the narrowest house in Manhattan. It's <laughs> nine feet six inches wide, <gasps> no or three way. meters. Just about. <laughs> he lived in that house. What? That sounds he, illegal. <laughs> three stories tall, but that's that's what it's known for. He's a he's a fun oh <laughs> person. My gosh. Where the children's book thing starts is in the 1960s. He continued to work at the New Yorker for seven decades, but in the 1960s, branched out to children's books. Mm-hmm. You won't be surprised to know he wrote 40 of those wow. up until he lived to be 95. Mm-hmm. Pretty, I mean, I really enjoyed the writing in Shrek. Yeah. I saw a quote from someone saying, you don't read his books, you perform them. Oh, They're great reading to kids at bedtime. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. You get to put on the show. Mm -hmm. And so he died in 2003, so he did see the first Shrek in his old age, and he said, it's vulgar, it's disgusting, and I love it. Aw, wow. So I'm glad, I'm glad that he was happy. I'm I'm really curious as for what yeah. tonally because like the film is so for its time, it's so fresh. It's mm-hmm. t- it's its tone is so different than what you would expect from this just generally fairy tale, this kind of thing. Yeah, animated family affair. So did where how does the book compare in terms of, <laughs> of the comedy? Like Shrek yeah, yeah, is yeah, so yeah. modern, and I th- and as we'll get into, has affected so much since it. I want. I want to under, understand, like how, how the book tonally feels, and in, in comparison mm-hmm. to the film. So, like I said, the book is a children's, almost bedtime mm-hmm. story book, and it really is the start of the satire of where Shrek goes full bore on satire of a bunch of stuff, including Hollywood and Disney films itself. The book yeah. is really more just satiring children's fairy tales, okay. satirizing the European fairy tale. So that's where the comedy comes from, is in the absurdity, the outlandishness of this sort of anti-hero who is the thing that the prince would be after, but in this case, he's gross and he loves it. And kids love gross stuff also. So that really (laughs) is where a lot of the comedy comes from. As a a kid, you would love (laughs) reading this because he's... So the, the name Shrek also is a Yiddish word Direct translation meaning fear or fright. Oh, cool. So if you spoke oh, yeah, yeah, Yiddish, yeah. Like you would shriek. know that that's it's very interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. It comes, yeah, from a German derivation of the word Shrek, but it's got a CK wow. at the end. Okay. Um, so the, the plot of this thing, very short, very simple, but he's still got those weird ear things in the drawings. Yeah. So that's classic Shrek. 
but he's much more menacing. He spits fire. He has this heat vision situation. Yeah, he's, he sounds like a, like an X-Men villain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's I mean, it's more of the typical ogre that really eats people and goes on a rampage. Right, okay, okay, okay. And doesn't take guff from anyone. He's a kid slash teenager, though, more a teenager, because he has parents that kick him out of his swamp. Oh, They're okay. like, you got to get out of the house. Okay. So that's the inciting incident of the story. But uh, this witch gives him his future, what he's going to do. And so she says he's going to meet a donkey, defeat a knight, and wed an ugly princess. Nah. And he's... <laughs> <laughs> it writes itself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's so, he's so happy for this because he can't wait to meet an ugly princess. That's exactly what he wants. Aww. And like I said, he's gross. Everything just runs away from him. Right. And he loves it. He's so happy. He falls asleep and has a nightmare where he's hugged and kissed by children. <laughs> That's funny. That yeah. is super funny there. <laughs> uh, he rides this donkey. He finds it talks. But the donkey really only says two lines. It's not that as much of a side character. Oh, interesting. Sidekick. Okay. For a feature film, and then gets to the princess, defeats the knight, and absolutely loves how ugly this princess is. They get married, and the final lines, and they lived horribly ever after. <laughs> and that's the so end. is she just ugly, or is she an ogre at night, or is that part of it, or is she? It doesn't. It doesn't say that she's an ogre, and it isn't a thing where she flip flops. She's just a really ugly monster person. And he's thing. like, ah, finally. <laughs> this is what I'm here for. Yeah. Someone who will accept me, I guess, I suppose. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you can see where the film is taking the idea about loving who you are, mm -hmm. being accepted, all of that stuff. But the book, because it's so one note right. in that way, he doesn't change. Right. It's too short right. for that. And it's really more just a message to kids about defiant right. self sufficiency. He loves himself, he ain't going to change. Yeah. yeah. And he finds who he needs. Yeah, it's clean. And he's the it, it, you know simple. Yeah, the bad guy who gets the happy ending. So, the reception for this was split when it came out in ninety. That's funny. Some people loved it. Some people said this is bad for kids, but it did win children's book awards as they come out. Yeah, throughout I mean, that year. interesting because again, from the Spielberg perspective, seeing something get a, a, a you know a, a rise. Out. Not that it's like a lot of people like it, but but it is mm -hmm. getting a rise out of parents and and other places. <laughs> so it's oh, it's getting a reaction. That means it's doing something interesting in the genre. It's definitely worth looking at. So it's it's wildly smart that he's got his fingers in this at mm -hmm. all, um, because oh, it, it's yeah. getting a reaction. Well, why is that? And what can we do with it? How could we how could we bring it to a wider audience on a bigger scale? Uh, how, what can it say? Mm -hmm. If this is yeah. the core of it at, uh, at a few just a few pages, well, how can we turn that into 90 minutes um mm -hmm. how can it's, we make this a grand thing about owning who you are and accepting you know <laughs> being gro you know. gross because kids feel gross they're told not to pick right, their nose right. you know and they love that right. side of being an ogre yeah as you said he's saying what can i do with this swoops in planned it as a traditional animated film because 91 where is cgi yeah nowhere yeah. they're not even thinking of that then he starts this company, DreamWorks, with his friends David Geffen and Jeffrey Katzenberg, hence the SKG underneath mm -hmm. the, the DreamWorks, and they bought the rights from him in 95. Okay. So that DreamWorks would be the one that owned it and did it, not just no. It's Spielberg good. It's good. Spielberg setting up a company that he's trying to get on its feet. You know, that's mm -hmm. that's, that's that's and here's a project. Yeah, yeah for the animation. I'm good. I don't need work this person. On. That's the that's for the company. You're good. You know. 
Mm-hmm. And really, because there was another producer as a part of DreamWorks, John H. Williams, he pushed Spielberg to say, hey, give this to us. We want to do it as an animated thing yeah. with our new thing because his kindergarten son loved it and was mm. quoting it all the time. Oh, yeah. Oh, and so yeah. Kind oh, of yeah. like with Harry Potter. So DreamWorks, I knew them, I'm sure you did too, as the rival to Disney's animation. Right. And it always seemed like they were doing like Ants to Bugs Life and Shark Tale to Finding Nemo. Right. Like they always were just coming out with something sort of flushed away and ratatouille. For lack of a better <laughs> really... term, off, you know? Right, right. Um, yeah. Again, a lack of a better term, it's, it's hard to describe because, I mean... Shrek is a household name, so it, it you know that that's it's a hard thing to contextualize. Like you're saying, bugs mm-hmm. and ants and oh god, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It looks like they're they're one step behind, right? Uh, but they haven't even done anything at the start of this when when it gets created in '95. So we're really going to focus on Jeffrey Katzenberg. He's the K in DreamWorks SKG, and right at and that he's... same time is when Toy Story Pixar is coming out, really mm-hmm. grabbing all the attention, and they're trying to put this together. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So Jeffrey K is specifically the animation side. And Shrek is not a big deal project for them because they're right. working on Ants and Prince of Egypt. Right. Those are the two ones that they're doing first that they know are going to come out and trying to be big. And so the animators that were failing at those two projects were sent to work on Shrek. Wow. It was like the 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 timeout bad place. That, that reminds they said me. It, uh, an yeah. old story uh, back in the 80s at Stan Winston's workshop. Stan Winston is the the guru responsible for all the amazing creature effects like the alien queen. Um, mm-hmm. But they were working, his team, his shop was working on a couple projects, but everybody wanted to work on this other project, this big thing. They're doing all these monsters, all this callback to old Hollywood, uh, and everybody wants to work on it. But there's only so many positions, there are only so many things. So the people that didn't, you know, they just didn't make it onto this project, they get kind of uh-huh. sided with this redheaded stepchild film that has stumbled. They're in the middle of production. The the creature didn't work out. They really are grasping at straws. So Stan Winston, these boys are coming in to save the day. Nobody wants to do it. Uh, and cut to the chase, Predator is predator uh they get nominated for an academy award for their effects uh and obviously (laughs) it is so much more successful than that other film which i won't even name because it would be almost rude to do so um (laughs) so in this terms of like this happens so often is is people working in the industry you never know what you'll get sidelined off to that might end up surpassing greatly because look Mm -hmm. at those other titles everybody else was working at at the time they knew what they were coming at and we know those titles but i mean shrek really does surpassed them <laughs> far and away, yeah. no question. So they these guys lucked out. And funny that they even, that reassignment, they had a pejorative term. It was known as being Shreked. Oh, when you got that's hilarious. Yeah, no. To Shrek. And now no, people I would mean, die. You never Shrek, know how you know? these things yeah. turns out. And everybody has that reaction. I personally, I hate being like sidelined or passed off to another mentor, or like, you know, those types of things. Um, but you never know when it works out for the better and you, you could be, you could be on the path to success. Yeah. So now they're on the path, not to success, but just production in general. There was a year and a half of research and development because Mm. they were trying to do sort of a live action CGI animated hybrid with miniature sets and then motion capture composites. Interesting. As the production is going on, but they had certain other parts of it storyboarded. So 
This are they working with actors yet? Yeah, they have. They have Chris Farley, I believe. Was yes, cast I, I know was he was definitely attached for some time. So I wasn't sure how much work he actually got to do as far as like any of these tests that they were mm-hmm. they were doing. I bet. I bet there is some of that material out there now. There's only one little piece. I'll post a link. It's like a two minute. Not animated, but just you know the, the schematic sketches, kind of, yeah. yeah, of of it with his voice, Animatic. him and Donkey talking. But this weird hybrid production thing was screened to Katzenberg in May of '97, and I just love this direct quote from him. He said, "It looked terrible. It didn't work. It wasn't funny, and we didn't like it." <laughs> well, so it sounds like it's going well. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful. But at this point, though, because Ants comes out in '98, I believe. Yeah, maybe that's not true. Uh, yeah, '97, '98. Yeah, so th- this was screened in '97. So the effects supervisor from Ants comes on to help, and also what then becomes the two co-directors, Andrew Adamson and Vicky Jensen. They're coming off of other projects as well, but they're both first-time directors. Yeah, this is their first feature from what I understood, which they, is like they've been bizarre. story editors. Again, and, going yeah, back yeah. to like, it's the eighth like completed full CG <laughs> and then it's first time directors behind yeah. it. It's, it's pretty incredible actually. Mm-hmm. And then with the casting stuff, you mentioned Chris Farley ends up being the one where they got a draft that nobody liked, didn't work, etc. Right. I saw as a fun piece of trivia, Nicholas Cage was offered the role. Yes. His, and I think it was, I, I looked into it more cause it was sort of misquoted because people said he turned it down because he didn't want to look like an ogre. Huh? Like he thought it was a bad look for him. Yeah. But it's also Nicolas Cage will play anybody and look like anything. Yeah. Even at that you know, time, you know, he's I, you know, he was taking yeah. <laughs> any he would do any you know, not 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 in a bad way, but he was just yeah. he was and he still is. Uh, so it was spun as a vanity that, thing. Yeah. yeah, but I looked into it more and it was more as we're talking about the story, the gruff nature that Shrek was in the book and how he was being perceived early on. Yeah. That's more of what he was worried about and being presenting that way to kids. He didn't want to be this gross bad guy mm-hmm. in a kid's, you know, he was th- he was thinking more that part of his image because mm-hmm. he plays the dad in the Crudes where he's this Neanderthal guy. But he's perceived as a good guy in that. Right. For, I haven't seen. He's, the Croods, at the but same time, yeah. we have to remember he is also trying to be Superman in a Kevin Smith's oh. film that never materialized. But oh, you I can see. go and look up yeah. this. It's a famous, famous failed movie that that mm-hmm. died in development. But uh, he 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 absolutely was about to be Superman at almost this exact same time. So that's that's the kind of thing is right. you can kind of understand in terms of this. You know uh, this how his image would be viewed here if the Superman guy is also the gross ogre. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. So Chris Farley, they looked with him and David Spade because of their duo in Tommy Boy and Black Sheep. Absolutely. You know, that's a, that's a, a, from like a filmmaking producerial standpoint, you know, home run. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And most of Farley's dialogue had been recorded and put together for this animatic stuff, but he died in 97. And so that was a huge blow to the production and everyone involved and a tragedy. Who knows whether it was part of the politics of not wanting to discuss his overdose or sequels or the fact that the whole thing wasn't working anyways from a story standpoint. It's amazing that it didn't die 
along with him, to be quite honest. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. it's absolutely incredible that the thing mm-hmm. kept on at all. Because from what I could tell, it was darker, still 2D, like I said, but with sort of an interesting motion capture dabbling in CGI as the technology is progressing. His character in Shrek, so a bubbly, over-the-top kind of thing, and Fiona is more of the no-nonsense mm-hmm happy with things the way they are kind of thing. So when they said, well, he's gone now, they really switched the personalities. Mm. When they made it brighter, more comedic, more CGI, full CGI, yeah. Shrek becomes the stick in the mud and Fiona is the brighter, bubblier character. Right, right. So for that purpose then, they That's need cool. a different actor and Michael Myers takes over but wants a total rewrite because he's like, I'm not going to just do right. the improv and the stuff that Chris Farley right. did. We've got it. We've got it. This is a new character with everything you mm. just described. It's whole. I mean, it is the same character, but this is part of development. We realize, no, this is the character. When you switch <laughs> those motivations, whoa, no, suddenly it starts working towards its themes and goals. So he records 90% of what they've put in the script and says, no, something still isn't right, which is a big thing as an actor to say because you're being directed but like you said, again, first time directors, yeah. side production for the company. Uh, he was saying because Shrek is working class and Farquaad was John Lithgow, who's English, mm-hmm. he thought Shrek should be Scottish <laughs> in the British sort of duality. That's uh, huge. That's a hugely mm-hmm. astute uh, contribution from an actor. Uh, mm-hmm. That that and and it's a subcon- It's a subtle uh, thing, but I, I think it absolutely adds a, a really a grounding to the character. <laughs> Michael Myers is right on. So now this is just by our count, <laughs> the third time they've changed everything for an actor <laughs> to fit into it, but they have reason. And here's sort of the big reason of them doing this is the rival to Disney. Yeah. And that even fits into the story of Shrek in the movie. Cause Holy, Jeffrey yeah. Katzenberg, he was, in Disney, he worked for Disney. He was a part of all of that. <laughs> oh, he was no. witness to the Renaissance. <laughs> yeah, and then he was fired, and he had a big falling out with the CEO Michael Eisner. Oh, wow! Hence, him saying, "We're going to start our own company called DreamWorks. Let's get it all together." And Shrek stands to be the middle finger, <laughs> crown jewel of it all. And he was a little bit. You could say this is all speculation of emotions and whatnot, but the bitterness behind Bugs Life really sucking the air out of ants Mm -hmm. since they both came out in 98, as well as sucking the air out of Prince of Egypt during the holiday season. These are the two things that they were betting on in 98. And then Disney kneecapped them twice, (laughs) takes it away. And I I think they had they were trying to have some, you know, because studios don't want to compete. For fear of that, this they're would actively happen. trying not to compete. That's why everything. That's mm-hmm. why they put out schedules for so. Like, and so everybody knows, and everybody's trying to not compete most of the time. Mm-hmm. And so when somebody well, why, does put it yeah. on your weekend, you go whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, it's, that's like an attack. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's that's how they're looking at it, and they they say that Lord Farquaad is a swipe at Michael Eisner who, like I said, was the Disney CEO, because their features are very similar, but also it's very similar to John Lithgow, who they (laughs) animated it based off of. But the difference being Eisner is six foot three, and he would always make fun of Jeffrey Katzenberg's height, where Katzenberg is five feet flat. (gasps) So there's a complete difference. Oh, my God. 
and so you could say, in a way, they're they're both making fun of Katzenberg and Eisner, yeah. or Katzenberg is making fun of Eisner because it's like a Disneyland theme park situation. Yeah, yeah. and Lord Farquaad is the ruler of that, this but little man playing off of you know? <laughs> his height, where Katzenberg is the one running. This DreamWorks. is personal. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this is beautiful. Yeah, this cutting down so per- the six. Now, and I just on a, just to put a uh, just a pin on that note, I'm watching this yeah, yeah. film for probably the first time in over a decade since that time I've yeah. been educated, in, you know, in film, and so I'm looking at it with a whole new sensibility set mindset. Mm-hmm. And so it was so interesting for me to get, arrive at Lord Farquaad and realize that on some subverted level, it was very important for me at this age when this came out. I was nine to see humans portrayed in this light, and in particular particular when it comes to Lord Farquaad to see a small little insecure man running a city <laughs> right. uh, being in charge of everyone I think it was so important for me developmentally to to, to be exposed to something like that to see mm-hmm. a different side of power because Lord Farquaad could uh, in the Disney version could be you know tall and brooding and scary and the, <laughs> everything you would just imagine instantly from this villain and this goes the total opposite direction to say something about the character and something wrong in the world and about how power <laughs> structure can lead to the wrong people being in charge and about, you know, it's really getting to the heart. And then for it to now to learn the basis of it and to, to be this kind of like tit for tat, silly, mm-hmm. you know, uh, recess, childish kind of thing where they are making fun of each other. But it really is like look, you're a little man on, you know, on the king of a castle. It's so personal, but it's, it, it's, it comes from somewhere. It's supercharged. And at the yep. base level, sub, subconsciously for me as a child getting it, I don't think it, it connected with me much at the time. But seeing it now in 2021, I go, that was big. That was so big for me to see something like that. Um, well, and everything that they subvert. So yes, yes. The the kind of difference being William Stieg's book originally Shrek is spoofing European fairy tales, but this movie Shrek specifically is skewering Disney fairy tales, <laughs> and everything that they represent. And and right at the age, like you're saying, where you're up for some postmodern irony, you're up for some satire of the. These are all the characters the I've been playing tales. with for nine years. How, mm-hmm. What can we do with them? That's interesting. Oh, they get evicted. And get thrown into a swamp because it's only where they can go. And Shrek suddenly isn't, he doesn't have any power anymore because he's not scary to any of them because they're all freaks. And he's got to get them off his land. (laughs) And all the, uh, yeah, all the tropes of singing to the birds, but they explode. And yeah, it's everything we've seen in a Disney movie. Just made fun putting, of, yeah, putting a nose really... at just like how 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 silly it could be, uh, how silly mm-hmm. some of these concepts are if you give them a chance just to you know to take them into another light. Uh, it's 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 really it's really astute stuff, uh, and also goes without saying. But from the underdog at the time, yes, that's what where there is an axe to grind. There is some. There's uh, real motivation, and DreamWorks right, has everything it, yeah. to say right now, uh, and maybe <laughs> yeah. this is this is why it's probably their their biggest success. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. the I think the music was worked into their logo for forever now. I, it, <laughs> right, it's yeah. like this is this is them working at all levels mm-hmm. as a as a full creative entity. Uh, claiming their stake for exactly why they should be here and why they should be respected. Uh, it's so interesting to see to to really stamp, step back and see what this movie represents for that company and what it was doing in that space at the time. Also, perhaps a bit of a surprise for them, as we Absolutely. reiterate again, it was not 
their big we're gonna win with this one right you, know, they, they you don't expect like the 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 oscar one to be the one where you, basically the hotel room you trashed with the trash can you know like you it's like you walked into yeah. the genre <laughs> and just started you know trap you know just like picking it apart and trashing it and saying whatever you want about it about comedically it. yeah and yeah. and that's that got you best adapted screenplay <laughs> you know like they, <laughs> right. you know like a nomination like that they, it can't then that's overall that is a that is an animated film getting nominated for best mm-hmm. adapted screenplay period at the oscars um that's the one that broke through for them so you're you're caught throwing around the trash and it's like <laughs> the industry goes now you're saying something <laughs> yeah yeah like you said the motivation the chip on their shoulder we see it's personal <laughs> yeah uh but also in terms of the enormity of it the fourth highest grossing movie of 2001. Wow. The top three, the first Harry Potter. Whoa. The first Lord of the Rings. Whoa. And Monsters, Inc. Wow. Which Shrek won against Monsters, Inc. So you think about like, imagine if those movies hadn't come out, how much bigger Shrek would be. But it was right. competing against those and still, and still broke, broke through, through yes. to be, all of them are massive properties now. What a gilded age. That was, <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh. Some people say like 99, 2000, 2001, some of the most amazing films yeah, yeah. in those three years. But anyways, uh, the last little knife in the chest from DreamWorks. So they released the VHS and DVD in November, mm-hmm. which was the same day that Monsters, Inc. came out in theaters. Oh, no. Wow. Which is a huge. That. Disney yeah. hated it. And it, Evan may know a bit about this, but like movies are released on Friday. DVD, VHS, Home is released on Tuesday. Yeah. That it was a it was a window, so you wouldn't have competition. It was uh, like I released, said, they're trying. <laughs> yeah. It's a no competition kind of thing. Everybody puts their calendar out, so everybody knows where everybody wants to be, what everybody's thinking way ahead of time. Uh, <laughs> but so, they released the DVD and VHS on Friday, the same Friday that Monsters Inc. came out. That so when that people have become their... more commonplace for them to switch up the date until way mm-hmm. into 2010 and beyond. These day yeah. and dates, Tuesdays, Fridays. Well, now we have streaming at the same. Time. It was it was yeah. unheard of to go outside of those release schedules um, because of this competition thing. It just did not happen. That started to go away uh, towards the back half of the twenty, you know, the back half of the aughts and mm-hmm. going into twenty tens. But for this move to release that <laughs> on a Friday, I, I, we can't highlight enough what kind of middle finger this really is. That is unheard of, an unprecedented move. The numbers also don't lie. Monsters Inc. earned sixty-two million at the box office, and Shrek made over a hundred million for that DVD release. I don't know if that's that Friday, but right, it was but... for two thousand one. It earned four hundred and twenty million total on DVD. Right. But that's just crazy that it still beat out Monsters Inc. in theaters. You you are saying DVD. while they're trying to get people out of their homes <laughs> in the car to the theater, they are saying go home, take it home, stay at home. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. it's that's the idea. Yeah. So I didn't know that at all about DreamWorks Disney. I didn't library, know how, but it how is, it personal is a, this and how vicious this really got. This is mm-hmm. this is down and mm-hmm. dirty. Yeah. The last thing I wanted to talk about cannot be understated is the music. Oh my god! In Shrek and talking about what they did differently, what they're jabbing at, pop songs unheard of for animated features. God, in two thousand one, especially. And yeah. this is subverting. It, it opens with Smash Mouth. That is the opening line. Their <laughs> opening credits as we're being introduced. Some of the grossest stuff happens in the thing, and it all plays out to Smash mm-hmm. Mouth. I, I instantly, like I said, I'm coming at it with a whole new skill set, uh, and and it starts 
instantly I'm thinking tonally, this is this is wild. Because yeah. you come into it knowing it's a fairy tale to a degree, you know, the ogre, that those types of things, and you expect a certain thing. And this immediately tells you that it doesn't care at all what you think uh, this could be, should be. That is, And that is the point. <laughs> it's a, the point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It also has to do with the, like you're saying, what you expect from Disney, from musicals. If you're a musical aficionado, it's the term called the I Want song, where the main character sings it at the beginning. It's... Belle from Beauty and the Beast, she wants Mm. to get out of town. It's the mermaid she wants. What's out there? Shrek has no I want. He's an all-star. He's perfectly content. Yes, Yes, he is an all-star. He doesn't want anything. (laughs) He doesn't want... The song is about how he's great and he doesn't want anything. That's where he starts off. That's where where he starts. It's setting up that he loves his life and now his life is being encroached on when the fairy tale creatures are evicted by Lord Farquaad. Now it's affecting his life and he's got to go say what's up to the far yeah. <laughs> but it's also the perfect subversion it's beautiful it's absolutely what, what you expect from the first song in an animated it's a huge movie. middle finger uh, tonally and, and immediately got mm-hmm. me thinking like wow who has this idea everybody would go to those initial inclinations so who was the person that said this will work mm-hmm. that that is not just a thing that happened this is this had never been done like this before uh, so i <laughs> yeah. thought watching it this you know watching it this time around i was really caught by the music all of the licensing choices are are number one they're great but number two they work emotionally uh, so well in the film and when you think about mm-hmm. why those choices have been done where they are put throughout the film they back up all of the themes about you not judging and and coming into this with expectations much yeah. like people and, and real social interactions so uh, it's how did you land here how do, how does this yeah, come about the beautiful thing with it and I'll post a link to a video that I saw from somebody who analyzes music and in movies and whatnot, yeah. so I can't take credit for <laughs> uncovering yeah, this, yeah. but it blew my mind. As far as, like you had spoken about the the theme, where it was used, we could hum it, I'm terrible at humming, but you know you know it, if I, if I played it, you would be able to recognize the Shrek kind of fairy tale, not pop music song. Mm-hmm. There is still a score to Shrek, there is still exciting music when he's running away from the dragon, oh, yes. it isn't There's just still a, all a pop music. score for sure. And so, but this has become, because now we're so used to it, it's hard to remember from the beginning or from an earlier, nowadays, pop songs are so on the nose. I had just seen an example of in the older Suicide Squad, Harley Quinn is a super freak and super freak plays. Like, you know, you know like it, it, it is just exactly. Fifty Shades of Grey is crazy in love, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's such yeah. a commonplace <laughs> we, now, but in 20 years ago, not at all. Um, and certainly not for a children's family affair. And the, the reason is tied to where you're talking about how are they making these decisions? I think it also is tied into still the score, the instrumental music that they have chosen to also incorporate. So what this video is talking about in terms of when the characters meet the genuine moments, when he meets Fiona, when they're at the end and she's transforming, that is all score. Mm-hmm. That is all the Shrek theme. Because there are other things that they do that are important that has pop music, but it is very on the nose. Always. The music yes. is exactly singing what's happening. So this ties back to theme and character in the character that is rarely at all in the book, but Donkey. Mm. He is the only character that really sings, except for the Merry Men and some other things, diegetically. He's yeah. the only one who's, he's a very musical character, singing other songs, Eddie Murphy singing mm-hmm. popular songs, because he's the only one who's comfortable with who he is. Mm-hmm. Everyone else 
has a false reflection of their own insecurity, and that's what the pop music embodies. Bad reputation from Joanna Jett yes. when he's fighting in the wrestling ring. He doesn't actually want a bad reputation. Hallelujah, when they're in love. Right. But they're not actually, because they're not telling the truth to each other. Right. All of the pop music is not a representation of them being secure. Yeah. And what is so amazing, and this is what blew my mind, is at the end, I'm a believer plays, but Donkey comes in to sing it diegetically, oh. meaning actually in the movie, yes. because it represents the synthesis yes. of being who you are. Now you can actually oh, sing yes. the pop song in the movie, oh, that's which is amazing. crazy. That's amazing. <laughs> And that, that they thought, you know, yeah. You've highlighted kind of the work of cinema. Let's just pinpoint that as like if you <laughs> if you don't understand how how moments come to be or how theme is really achieved over the course of mm -hmm. ninety minutes, that is how, and it's, that's how it's yeah. attacked from all angles, and that's how it has to be done. And it's not supposed to be something you're supposed to walk away with and really, you know, get. It's supposed Consciously, to be exactly. Yeah. It's it's supposed to be. Subverted. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. You need somebody who is a musician and a master of movie music. So I'll post a link to the video that I got all this from. But it's like, oh, yeah, if you're looking at it at that level, the people that worked on the music for the film were thinking about yes. this and thinking about thematically I, I love and subverting what different Disney. departments bring. Their, their expertise, mm -hmm. their artistry. Uh, if you let people work, if, they, if people are aligned in the, in the common goal, uh, if you let these artists do their jobs, man, it, you get things like this. <laughs> that when you pick it apart, you're like, I never even understood that it was a process and it was working in front of my eyes. You know, it's like, yeah. it's like oh my God, you built a machine, basically. It's like, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's and that's why beautiful. it feels good for all the fairy tale characters to sing and dance and because they do now believe in who they are. That's incredible. And it makes, but it's so funny too, sadly, talking about, okay, well now pop music is in Suicide Squad and Guardians of the Galaxy and all this other stuff. Now every animated movie just has a dance number at the end right. for no reason. It's But there was a very clear reason. When something pops so big in Hollywood, it just gets cannibalized instantly. Uh, <laughs> one example would be the, the, the gong sound from Inception, which just uh -huh. ended up in every intense movie trailer thus forth right, right. after Inception came out. Which, And if you watch Inception, it's not as if that sound is just some cool sound effect in the film. It is intrinsically linked to the plot of that film. It couldn't be more original to what's going on. And <laughs> for trailers and movies to just pull that without even understanding what they're what they're doing and it suddenly now it's this movement of of, <laughs> right. of hundreds of trailers and and things that have this flavor for and they don't yeah, even understand yeah. how it's working or why it's there it's just a thing that popped in cinema and people just grabbed it and started throwing it in things it, this happens all the time right. but it's bizarre when 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 it when this happens is it feels as if the all of the intent never comes over with it uh, right. It's and, just like we had all these animated characters. We spent a lot of time animating them. Let's have them dance together at the end in Madagascar 3. And it's like, well, but what does that have to do with right, anything that you right. were saying about the story? Yeah. That's so that, yeah. 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 <laughs> it, 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 that, that, that's the mark of the trendsetter and then the mark of. You know how things become ubiquitous and how things become so common. Audiences aren't aren't dumb to this, and they feel things cheapened, <laughs> and that's why we get sick of things, and we're looking for the next thing that pops. So, that is a perfect segue to what we will discuss in our next installment of this Shrek episode series, because when things become a cultural institution, 
how what do you do with now, it? It's too big to fail. <laughs> what what is, do you oh my yeah, god. Yeah. Uh yeah. So Yeah, we'll talk about it all. Did it become its own joke? Did it again, <laughs> we only we again we covered the first film and the book. Yeah. There's so much other Shrek stuff, and that's what we'll get into next time. So keep your eye out for episode two of Shrek. Thank you guys so much for uh, coming with us on this. I love this. I can't wait to get into the second part. Thank you, Taylor. This was a uh, this you. was a fantastical uh, tale. This was such a delight. <laughs> um, can't believe it's been twenty years. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. um, thank you guys for listening. Um, let us know what you're reading. Let us know what you're excited for coming out. Uh, movies, TV, any of it. You never know when we'll do something you want to know all about. Reach out to us at Illiterate Pod on Instagram. Thank you so much.